I want to encourage you, as Shelly is going to finish her word today, I want to encourage you guys to continue to have your ears. I want to remind you of our vision here at New Covenant. In Ephesians 4.11, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip God's people for the work of the ministry. Shelly is going to equip us as a teacher today. She's going to equip us and how to break the neck of codependency, how to break the neck of being a rescuer or being a victim in our lives, how to quit losing our power when things happen in our lives. I see so many people in the body of Christ abroad that when something happens in their life, they lose their power. They lose their ability to stay focused and in faith. And they fall apart in pieces. Or they fall apart in their relationships and they're by, because somebody else loses their power and they get angry, then I think I have to lose mine. No, we don't. Can I have an amen on that? And so I pray you're taking notes. I'm praying you're asking the Lord, God, where am I a rescuer? Where am I a victim? Where am I in this process? And what are you wanting to do in my heart to change me? Are you guys with me on that? So, Father, I thank you for Shelly. I thank you, God, for the word that you've placed in her that is growing. And I just ask, God, that you bless her today in sharing the word. God, help her just to articulate and to be led by your spirit. Let the word of God come alive in us today. And I bless you, Shelly, in the name of Jesus. You're a blessing. I love you dearly. And I thank God for the change and the redemption that he done in you several years ago. And how you have been faithful to follow after God, even in the tough times. And I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. I don't have a pocket. Yeah, I wore the wrong outfit. I don't have the pocket for my little Janet Jackson mic. So we'll see if I can juggle the PowerPoint, my notes, and this, and my. It's going to be fun. All right, are you guys, are you tired of seeing my face yet? Because I am tired of being here. I want you to know. No, this is definitely a challenge, um, but it's a good challenge. I'm just running the race that God has set before me. And so uh, it's good. Um, I just wanted to start uh, with um, just a little bit of a challenge um, to you. I know that sometimes, I, I think a lot of times, um, my bend on teaching um, tends to lean toward a self-help approach. And um, I want to just say that I would never diminish the news of the gospel to be um, just a nice little self-help message, okay? I don't want to ever um, dumb it down or, or, or water it down in any way. I'm just, um, I think sometimes people reduce the gospel to a, um, hey, if your life is a mess, come to Jesus and he's going to make it all better and then you're never going to suffer and bad things are never going to happen to you and it's just going to be wonderful. And I don't want to give that impression today at all. This is, um, this is going to be a little self-helpy only because um, I feel like sometimes we have to get ourselves right in order to obey the will of God. And so um, I think that sometimes we have these challenges and these struggles in our life. And many times I think we believe that it's everyone else's problem. You know, I'm stuck in this place and it's everybody else's fault. Uh, my relationships are in turmoil. And that's because this person won't act right and this person won't do this. Or my leaders won't recognize me or this is happening or that is happening. Uh, we think that um, 
it's the devil all the time. I just want to just press on you a little bit and say, maybe, just maybe, it's not everyone around you. Maybe it's you. And your posture is off. The way you relate to people might be off. If everyone around you misunderstands you, you actually might be the problem. So that's what I'm trying to say. So today, we're going to take the principle of, um, okay, so you're in a plane and the oxygen masks deploy. Let's pray to God that never happens to you. But if you do, even if you're with a, a child, you are supposed to position your oxygen mask on yourself before you assist someone else. It's what we're doing today. We are positioning our oxygen mask so that we can go out and do the will of the gospel and position and help someone position theirs. There's a possibility your oxygen mask has been kind of crooked or it's off and, you know, lack of oxygen makes you confused. And so you could be walking in a little bit of confusion and you just need to like, you know, just get a big healthy dose of breathing in of the Holy Spirit, the Lord checking you, getting yourself right so that we can then assist others. Got it? That is my motive for doing this. I just had to get that out there. The next point I want to make is that um, this message, it's laced with biblical principle. But I'm just going to show you my cards right now. We're going to visit about three scriptures and one parable today, okay? It is laced with biblical principle, but we're only going to visit that many. Uh, It's because I I am assuming certain things about this audience right here. The first thing that I am assuming is that we all believe in the free will that God gives us. That there is a sovereignty of God and a free will that we have that is in this tension. And there's a mystery that we don't understand because they're both at work at the same time. But um, our human brains can't understand it. But I am assuming that you guys truly believe that God gives you a choice as to whether you choose him or not choose him. Whether you, whatever, that you have choice. That it's not like predetermined. Um. The other thing that I'm assuming is that you're familiar with the life of Jesus and that I can reference it easily without having to visit a a bunch of scriptures. Um, I have a lot to cover today, and um, I'm really excited about it. I do feel like the Holy Spirit has given me permission to just, like, let her flow. So that's what we're going to do today, so get ready. Just kind of, like, you know, get ready to receive. Are we cool with that? Okay, in doing that, here's what I want to do. I want to pray again. This is my favorite prayer to pray before I teach because it really just does something really cool. All right, Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just, we just uh, want to envision our heart right now as soil. And Father God, as you have used me to be your farmer that is going to scatter this seed, right now I pray that your angels would just supernaturally come and just remove the rocks and remove the weeds of their hearts right now. And that, Father God, uh, the, the word that you've placed inside of me, that, that as I scatter this seed today, that it would go on good soil. And it would take root deep, deep down. In Jesus' name. Okay, so if we could turn on the... Yeah, there we go. Okay, where's my helper, my husband, my wonderful man of God. I'm using him this week. He's not going to be a distraction as much as my kids were, I think. 
I know he's pretty cute. Okay. Uh, so let's see, where am I at? Okay. So we've been talking about codependency. We've been talking about powerlessness. If you've missed any of that, please go visit the podcast. It really is good stuff. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. Um, we're going to review a little bit. I'm going to review just enough to get you to not be lost today. Okay. So, um, let's see, two weeks ago, we talked about how codependency is a symptom of the problem and that the problem is actually a lie that we are powerless, believing a lie that we're powerless. And so we went off of the scripture in 2 Timothy. I fixed it this time. It's 2 Timothy um, 1.7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And then, I don't know why that's not going. Oh, hi. I have to turn it on. The next one is 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. And what I said last week was that all of us have been given this gift of choice. We've been given a gift of freedom. We've been given a gift of power, of love, and of self-control. And really, all humans have it, okay? We as Christians get this really cool uh, supernatural thing that happens. It, it becomes awakened in us. Um, it's, it's way better when, when the Spirit of God gives it to us. So we are given this gift. I'm going to give this, and this is thanks to Chris Robinson made these for me, by the way. We have been given, literally, it's a gift. We've been given a gift. My hubby, hold that. Of power of self-control, of love, and of freedom. We are given that. And when we come to know the Lord, it is awakened more, and, and we learn to exercise it. I have also been given this gift of power, love, self-control, and freedom. Now, I have the freedom to choose God or not choose God. Do we agree? I have the freedom to walk out right now and just leave you guys hanging right? But that would not be good. Now, God's intent for us having this freedom is that we operate within a boundary of love. Now, when we don't choose God, and many times when we do choose God, we still use our freedom, our freedom, to violate other people's freedom. My freedom to be angry at my husband ends at his freedom to be safe and unharmed. If I want to punch him, of course, it's really probably not going to hurt him. But um, if I, let's turn that around. If he, his freedom to punch me ends at my freedom to be safe and unharmed, that is operating within a boundary of love. Now, when we do not operate our freedom within the boundary of love, um, even the law recognizes that. Even our uh, law of, you know, it, our governmental law, you, yeah, you have the freedom to murder somebody, but your freedom will then be taken away. You will go to jail. You lose your freedom to be among society. So, um, but the Lord wants us to have this freedom and to use it within the boundary of love. Here's what happens is if I use my freedom to violate his freedom, what I do is essentially I just kind of go. 
And I knock the power out of his hand. I know, I do that to you all the time, don't I? Um, I knock the power out of his hand. If I am a child and I am violated in some way, if I'm sexually violated or if I'm beaten or if I'm talked to like a dog or, you know, whatever it is, if my power and my freedom to be safe and unharmed is constantly knocked out of my hand, I am going to believe a lie as I grow up that I don't have power. I'm not going to know how to manage it. I'm not going to know how to hold on to it. I'm going to walk around and I'm basically going to be like, you know, kicking my power around. Like, I don't even know. I don't even know what to do. I, I'm a victim. I, I can't function. I don't, I'm just a mess. And so, I'm sorry, I could have kicked my own power. I kicked yours. So, so last week we learned that if you're a powerless person and you're kicking your power around all over the place, powerless people do two different things. One of the things that they do is they lay their power at the feet of altar, at, yeah, at, at the altar of something. It could be food. It could be drugs. That's where I laid my power down. It could be, you know, whatever it is, name it, anger, fits of rage, whatever you want to name your altar. We're powerless. I don't know what to do. This is where I receive my comfort. This is what, this is, this actually makes me feel powerful is by doing these things. Ice cream makes me powerful. Um, so we do that. Or what we do, and it's really and, we do that plus we make an exchange of power with someone else. And I say to Chris, hey, my freedom, my self-control, my power, my love, my happiness is dependent on your behavior, and your happiness is dependent on my behavior. Powerless people are like magnets to each other. Uh, we kick around our power. We don't know what to do. So finally, we make a covenant with somebody who's just as powerless as we are, and we make this exchange of power. And that is where the codependency cycle comes in. Codependent cycle. We make an exchange of power with another person, and that's where we fall into the roles of the victim, the rescuer, or the bad guy. Now, depending on... You can vacillate in and out of these roles with anybody that you want. I was, a, I was a victim bad guy with my husband, but I was a rescuer to my children, and I'm going to make more sense here. The victim, we believe a lie that it's my job to be pitiful and to get you to manage my life, happiness, and well-being. My happiness is dependent on your behavior. The rescuer believes a lie. My job is to control or manage you. My value comes from my ability to fix or to help you. And my happiness is also dependent on your behavior. And so that victim-rescuer cycle works. You know, it works well for people. They really like it. It's like I, I actually, you know, for the longest time, I actually wanted to be controlled. wanted people to tell me what to do because I didn't like the thought of if I made a mistake, I wanted it to be somebody else's fault. Now, this works all fine and well until... Either the rescuer or the victim, you know, crosses the line in some way. And then we turn into the bad guy. You've just stopped making me happy. So basically, I'm just going to like, I'm, gonna, I'm taking my power back and I'm keeping yours. You know, and we take it back and then we just get mean about it. We use control, manipulation, anger, punishment, whatever it is. But that's essentially what's happening. Yes. And so, let me catch up on my notes. 
I'm out of breath. <sighs> I should exercise. <laughs> okay. Woo! I know. Okay, so this week, were you able to feel when you dropped your power? Can, can you feel it when you drop your power? I, I can feel it, like right here. And, and everybody around you can see that you've dropped your power. Because, I mean, it's just like, you know, something happens on your face. You're like, okay, I didn't anticipate that. I'm, I'm, I'm losing it. I, I almost lost my power this morning as I get everybody dressed. Listen, listen. It is hard work getting this family out of the house, okay? And I was ready at 9.15, and I had my 18-month-old son in the cutest outfit that Carmen Cash just gave me. And he soiled his diaper, and it leaked out onto his pants. And so then I get down on the floor to change this messy mess, and I, put, I get down on my knees in my freshly painted toes, got nail polish on the carpet, and, I mean, like, life comes at us, and we lose our power. I mean, the nail polish is still on the carpet. We're currently investing. If anybody knows how to get nail polish out of carpet, please see me after service. <laughs> so, it happens. Life comes at us, and we lose our power, okay? But if you have noticed that you are powerless, like, all the time, it's not just, <laughs> you know, certain things that happen. If you realize that, wow, I pretty much, I never have my power. I'm always a hot mess then um, you probably need a little bit of help. And we talked about that last week. Um, one of the things that causes us to lose our power is that we believe a lie. You know, if you're constantly going through the same trial over and over again, there's a chance that you believe a lie about something. Some, sometime in your childhood, something has happened. Power was knocked out of your hands, and you never learned how to pick it back up. So you need to go back to that time when you were a child and receive healing, do forgiveness, all of that. We talked about that last week. There's another reason why we will continue to lose our power, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay? So I have entitled this message, Being Powerful in a Powerless World. I feel like that needs to have a song. You need to write it. Okay. So have you, as you were interacting this week, have you gotten the clue that some people don't want to be powerful? I mean, they just don't. And listen, let me tell you something. Your kids don't want to be powerful. I mean, they say they do, but really they don't because if they have to own their behavior and their self-control and their own power and they have to own it, that means that their behavior is no longer your fault. And they don't like that. And so they like to pull you, pull you into, you know, these things and really and if you're honest if you're honest they learned it from you because you know you don't like to own your own mistakes either what what that's why they're not up here right now that's right <laughs> <laughs> um but if we're all if we're all honest that's right they do they learn it from us it's it's a learned behavior if we're honest with ourselves we really don't know how to manage our power very well either um, this is kind of a really new concept. Um, even though it seems very basic, it's, it's really not. We kind of don't, don't really know how to manage ourselves very well. I remember one time, oh, this is a side note. I remember one time back in the day we were counseling with Tom and um, Chris and I, because he's the best marriage counselor ever. And so um, 
Okay, so we're arguing and we're talking and Chris gets, I have had an anger problem, let's just say, um, in my life. And so um, I remember one time, um, Chris was like, you just lose control all the time and you just yell at me. And I go, oh, I'm sorry. I beg to differ. I know exactly what I'm doing when I'm talking to you like that. And I was like, and it was one of those things where it revealed in my heart that I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't lose control. I did know exactly what I was saying when I did that. And so I just want to propose to you, you're more in control of yourself than you really think you are. Because it's been given to you by God. And anyway, but we're going to learn how to manage that today. So. Okay. So. As I think about you know, you guys, and you've been going through your week this week, and um, how many of you encountered a situation with a powerless person? You know, it, and how, how did that go? Anybody, did that, did that go well, or did it not go well? I mean, we as Christians, we have, we, I love the visuals that God gives us, because we have, um, the armor of God to, you know, like to put on and wear. You know, we've got our breastplate of righteousness and our, our helmet of salvation, all of it, the belt of truth. And, you know, can you see us all like, you know, here? And then um, in Isaiah, we've got our garment of praise. So you put that on on top of that. And then in Colossians, it talks about how we need to be clothed with like kindness and humility and something else and something else. I wrote it down. Gentleness and patience. And then in John 14, it talks about how he gives us a gift of peace. And so we've got, we've got on our garment of praise, our coat of humility. We're holding our gift plus our sword and our shield. Like, can you imagine that? Like, we're walking around like this. I mean, we are fully equipped people, okay? But then, man, we come across other people who are totally don't have their power. Okay, and they're like, like I said, they're just like kicking it around on the floor. And really, powerless people, they really want to engage you. Okay, they're like, you know, hey, pick this up. My, I swear, my, my happiness really is dependent on you. You've got to fix my problem. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so here's what happens is, is powerless people, if they can't get you on their level, start demanding and they start manipulating, and they get mad. And again, it's like they go up and they just go, you know? It's like, ooh, take that. That's right. And so we, that happens, like, especially, well, I'm just dropping stuff. This happens with our kids a lot, okay? And so here's what happens to us as we go, you know, we're sitting there. They've just knocked our power out of our hand, and we're like, I didn't anticipate that. That was not supposed to happen. Didn't you hear the message? You're supposed to be in charge of your power too. I'm in charge of mine. You're in charge of yours. I don't know what to do when you're freaking out. How am I supposed to react? And so here's what happens when, you know, when our power gets knocked out of our hands because somebody literally violates us. You know, I, I, like whatever. You can imagine whatever it is that they do to violate you. Use your imagination. But when that happens, we're like, oh, I have no idea what to do. And so um, it, is, it is in that process. This is what we're going to learn today is what do we do around somebody that does that? Because here's the thing. If somebody is 
throwing their fit or, you know, doing whatever it is that they're doing, acting the way that they're acting, we feel guilty. You know, we feel guilty. We, we somehow, it's, it's a real temptation. It's like, wow, you're really upset with me. I really don't feel like I did anything wrong. But it's, I, I feel pressured. I feel pressured to do something to fix this state that you are in. I feel, ooh, and, and you just like, you're like, ugh. I don't, I don't like this feeling, and we don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to be powerful people around powerless people. We're not okay with them flopping around like a fish out of water and us just being like, yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'll see you later. You know, we, we don't know how to do that because we think it's wrong. Okay, we're going to learn today whether that's wrong or not. I got a clue it's not. But, um... Okay, so there are a couple of reasons why this scenario that I said, like you being okay with the powerless person, why this may feel impossible to you. You might be sitting there going, but, but, you're, you know, you, but, okay, hold on. There's a couple of reasons why you may feel like this is impossible, okay? First reason is your communication style. And by communication style... I mean the lie that you believe, okay? If you are a passive communicator, you believe a lie that your needs don't really matter, and you downplay them compared to the needs of the other person in the relationship. I'm just going to let that sink for a minute. This is the person in the relationship that seems to be the one that gets walked over. You think, well, I really... I should, I should say something about that, but I don't know. I guess it doesn't really, I just shouldn't say anything. There's been a seed planted in your heart that your needs don't matter, and it probably comes from childhood. But you have a hard time voicing it, because if you do, you're going to look selfish. If I voice my need, if I communicate my need, I'm going to look selfish. Okay. Passive communicators. Sometimes what happens with you is that you'll be passive to a point, and then you'll become aggressive, and you will flip a switch, and you'll become passive-aggressive, which is the highest form of manipulation, and I know that's not what you want, but it is the highest form of manipulation. You go for the longest time, and you don't say it, and you don't say it, and you don't say it, and you think that they should have a clue, and they don't, and you keep not saying it, and not saying it, and not saying it, and then you go, that's it. If nobody's going to meet my needs, I'm going to meet my needs. And you flip out, and boom. Right. And now the person that you have just, like, accosted is like, what? You what? Like, all of a sudden, now you're deciding your needs matter. Listen, you don't play fair. It's not fair. It is not fair. Yes. So if that's you, like, make a little mental note that you need to deal with that and probably repent. Okay? Okay. Aggressive communicators. This is me. <laughs> you believe a lie that your needs are the only one that matters. So passive communicators and aggressive communicators usually come together because 
you're both completely happy. My needs are the only one that matters. Your needs never matter. You never really speak up. We're all happy, okay? <laughs> Until, <laughs> okay, because, um, you know, <clears throat> and here's the thing is that, is that us aggressive communicators, we are, like, blown away when the passive aggressive comes out. We're like, what? I, d I had no idea that your needs mattered. It didn't even occur to me. You never said they did. It's not my fault. Okay. It's not my fault at all. Okay, so in this, um, in this understanding your communication style or your communication malfunction, uh, we need to know, uh, we need to kind of get this way of communicating where we realize that, that we need to be assertive and yet still have empathy. If you're a passive communicator, being assertive is going to be difficult for you. If you're an aggressive communicator, having empathy is going to be difficult for you. <laughs> so the goal is to have two powerful people in a relationship where I manage my power, my happiness, my freedom, you manage yours. I understand your unique perspective and experience, and I want you to understand my unique perspective and experience. Yes, it is. It is a very lofty goal. Listen to me. How many of you guys are passive communicators that you know of? Give me a show of hands. You're passive. Okay. Your... <laughs> needs matter. You have to say them out loud. You have to, to allow someone to understand your unique perspective. It's important. It really is. Okay, how many of you are the aggressive communicators? Okay. Their needs matter. <laughs> yes, your needs matter, but listen, you have got to pull it out of them as they are trying to, you know, figure it out. They're having a really hard time here. Please, you know, have a little grace for them. Their needs do matter. Please don't run them over. Um, we want to, the goal is to understand each other's perspective. I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to agree with you. I just want... I just want to understand your unique perspective. Yes. Okay. We all have that. It is good stuff. Okay. <laughs> I know it's a shock, isn't it? It's like, ah. Oh. Okay. Do we have it? We got it. We ready to move on to the next reason why being powerless, powerful in a powerless world might be difficult? Are we ready? Did we take any notes that we needed to? Anybody need to take a picture of this? So you can pull it out when you're arguing? Okay. <clears throat> All right. Uh, I wasn't quite ready for that, but you have a sneak peek. Um, yeah. I'm going to go back to the visual about um, freedom within the boundary of love, okay? Um, because if this, if our freedom is constantly being violated, 
it is hard to hold on to our power. So again, I will say this. If my freedom to be angry at Chris, I have, I have the freedom to be angry, but the Bible says don't sin. So if I am free to be angry at him, I'm free to be angry at him, and we're still powerful people, and we're fine. But I begin to invade his freedom if I start name-calling or if I start getting in his face or if I do something in a way that, that is, you know, it's like mess, it's crossing some, our, our, our ability to hold on to our power. Sorry. Yes, it invades love. And so um, this type of violation happens in all relationships. Happens in parenting. Happens in spousal relationships. Siblings. Jobs. Your employer or employee. Mentor and mentee relationships. We cross boundaries. And we invade freedoms. And we treat each other. We don't obey the boundary of love. And so we begin to, um, if you notice... Okay, let, let me just give this for example. Um, there is a lie in the body of Christ that says that putting up with people constantly violating your freedom is love. I'm going to say that again. In the body of Christ, we believe a lie that allowing people to constantly violate our freedom is actually love. And that is a lie. There are... Um, some women who stay in a physically abusive marriage in the name of submission and love. And let me just tell you, friends, that is not God's heart. That is a, that is a violation of your freedom, of your God-given gift to be safe and unharmed. Do you understand? And so as a church, I think as a body of Christ, that is a very extreme example. But as the body of Christ, we have this weird, and I'm going to get emails, I know it, but we have this weird perspective about, um, about love and how we're supposed to just allow ourselves to be violated. And I'm going to clarify this later, I promise. So just save your email. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to give you a simpler example. That was a very extreme example of violating. Okay, so let's say that the Lord has placed somebody on your heart. And I'm going to use this as an example because this was me 10 years ago. Okay, when I got saved, um, I had just gotten free from drug addiction, and my life was a total mess. Like, I was a hot mess. And um, everything, every, I was, I mean, we're talking, I was kicking my power around. Like, I didn't even know what I was doing ever. And so, I was a boundary crosser. Um, I was a boundary crosser with my sister. I was a boundary crosser with my mentors. And I, um, Everything that I, every problem that I had was an emergency, like a right now emergency. Do you guys, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so we all have people like that in our lives that God has placed on your heart to help, and you dearly love them, like you love them with all your heart. But man, everything, everything is an emergency, and it's something that needs to be dealt with like right now, right now, right now. And so at first it's okay, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to take time out of my day, and I'm going I'm to address this, I'm going to address this text, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do whatever. But um, there, it, it, if it, it just keeps pecking at you, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a pressure that you begin to feel 
that sometimes people can violate that. You know, they just don't understand. They don't understand boundaries. They don't understand, you know, whatever. And, and again, in their mind, their power is all over the place. They're a powerless person. They honestly really think that you're their only hope. I must rescue. This is horrible. They're calling me at 1230 at night because, you know, this is happening and that's happening. And I have to. I have to. If I don't, something horrible is going to happen. We put this pressure on ourselves. Okay. And so, um, yes. <clears throat> so I'm suggesting that um, that maybe that's not love. That maybe that's not your job. Or maybe that it is, I don't want to say not your job. Let me clarify here. If I am constantly, you know, pecking, pecking at you and asking for your time, and um, and crossing this boundary, there is a weird thing that happens in in human nature. We um, we press boundaries, and we press boundaries because we assume that the other person is going to speak up if if we've crossed the line. Um, but the person whose boundary is being crossed actually is assuming that the other person is going to know that they are crossing a line, and so. So there becomes this unspoken, you know, well, I'll stop when you say to stop. And the other person's going, you should stop because you should know that you should stop. And so we begin to, um, see what I mean? And it's, it's a big lie. And we are infiltrated with guilt. What happens is we get infiltrated with guilt because we're supposed to love like Christ loves. We're supposed to lay down our lives like Christ did. And we're thinking, we're thinking, you know, I... I don't have time for this. Like, uh, my family is suffering. You know, this is happening or that's happening. And I don't, I'm, you know, I, I'm feeling very violated um, in this process. And that type of pressure, the pressure, that, that pressure causes us to lose our power. And so I'm suggesting that in order to hold on to your power, healthy boundaries are a must. We have to, we have to, um, Keep it sacred. We have to keep our power sacred. We have to protect it. We have to um, we have to set boundary with people that we're helping. We have to set boundary with set boundaries even with our children. Malachiah the other day was coming to me and she was mad at me and she was like yelling, and I looked at her and I said, "Do you feel like your anger is going to motivate me right now?" And she goes, yeah. She's four. I said, it's not working. You should try something else. She said, well, what should I try? <laughs> I was like, well. <laughs> it was great. I mean, four-year-olds can get this. Okay, but I set a boundary with her. I was like, hey, that's not working. Okay, so um, good boundaries help you to care for others because you have a stable foundation to operate from. Okay, so Jesus set boundaries. Okay, I think I, yes. Jesus set boundaries. He tended to his basic needs. He ate healthy. He got sleep. He took time to relax. He spent time with friends. He also made time to be with the Father one-on-one. Sometimes he was with the multitudes. Other times he withdrew just to be with the 12. And even then there were the three that he was the most intimate with. He wasn't always nice. 
He called people out when they tried to manipulate him. And he didn't help everyone he came across. And you might say, hold up, Shelly. Jesus did so allow himself to be violated. He was beaten. He was hung on a cross. He died for us. He, if that's not violating boundaries, I don't know what is. Jesus allowed it to happen to him. Therefore, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to love like Jesus loves. Right? Isn't that that weird thing in the back of your mind that says, I'm supposed to do that? Okay, well, I am here to say, you're right, he did do that. But he was not a victim. No, John 10, 18. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father commanded. Jesus was not a victim of the cross. Do you understand that? He willingly did it. He knew what was coming. He he was not, you know, the cross is not this place of defeat. It is a place of Jesus was like, I am a powerful person, and I can walk away from this if I want to, but I'm not. I choose this. And it's a posture difference. Do you understand the difference? It's the difference of this is happening to me. I'm a victim of it, you know, versus I'm choosing. I'm choosing this. And it's just a it's just a twist in your posture of understanding what it looks like to lay your life down, sacrifice it voluntarily. Yes, because the Father commanded. The Father says to do it, and I choose to obey him. <clears throat> no one took anything from Jesus. He willingly did it. Uh, loving people has to come from a place of willingly laying down our lives. Yes, and not from a place of pressure. Sorry, I'm just checking in my, on my notes. Okay. The people who hung Jesus on the cross had evil intentions. Their evil intentions was to violate Jesus' freedom. It was to um, take away his power. It was to make him look humiliated. That was their motive, right? And they thought they won because, do you understand that? They thought they won because their their evil intent was for this to happen, and this was their motive behind it, and this is what they were going to do. But Jesus... Never let go of his power, and he willingly did it. So it doesn't matter what these people are intending. It doesn't matter that they have evil intent. You are the one that chooses. 
You are the one that chooses what posture you're going to carry, whether you're going to be a victim of the cross or a victim of, uh, you know, whatever trial that's coming your way. You are the one that chooses whether you're going to do that, whether you're going to allow yourself to be a victim of it, or if you're going to willingly lay down your life. And again, this is what my father has commanded, laying down, um, laying down his life. His father commanded it. You have to decide, is the father commanding me to lay down my life in this situation or to set up a healthy boundary like Jesus did? You understand, there is a, there is a tension, there's this tension between healthy boundary holding on to my power, being healthy, and willingly laying down my life to serve and love others. And it is all dependent on what the Father commanded. What is he saying? And you know what Jesus did before he went to the cross, before he did that? He got alone with God. And I can, I can just see this visual of Jesus being in that garden and praying and literally like trying to hang on to his power, like dropping it like, oh, I'm scared. Nope, I got it. I can do this. The Father wants me to. You know, it's like when we do something that is difficult, when we step out into something like me doing this, whoo, people, it is tough. It is hard. And it, there's a lot of, it causes me to just want to like drop my power and just leave it there on the floor because I get all, you know, all messed up. But I'm like, no. No, I've got to get alone with the Father. I've got to get with him. I've got to spend time with him. Lord, what is it that you want? Okay, yes, I receive that. I understand. This is what you've called me to do. And you begin to, you begin to get confidence in what God has asked you to do, and you can pick your power back up, and you can do that thing that makes you afraid. You understand? Okay. Oh, okay, this is good, too. Sorry. Okay, so now you're probably saying, okay, well, Shelly, there is that one scripture that says that Jesus said that if somebody, if I went up to um, Alex and I slapped him on the cheek, Jesus said you're supposed to turn the other cheek and let him slap it. And if somebody steals your shirt, you're supposed to give him your coat. Listen, you guys, your mind, you're about to be blown. Okay. Here's the difference. Jesus is telling you to change your posture. He's saying that when somebody violates you and smacks you in the face, he's saying you make a choice to go, really? Here's the other one. I willingly offer you the other one. You're not taking away my power. I got it. And if somebody steals your shirt, you're like, oh, I'm a victim. Nope. Jesus says, don't let go of your power. Willingly hand him your coat. You're not a doormat. He's not telling you to be a doormat. He's telling you to be powerful. And when you look at the life of Jesus, again, I'm going to say this again. You have to decide and you have to discern. Am I going to lay my life down? Am I going to turn the cheek? Am I going to give my coat? Or am I going to set a boundary like Jesus did? Am I going to set him straight? Like when he, you know, he set people straight. It's about obeying the Father. And one of the great ways, things that you can do, that you can figure out is, is, um, Am I feeling pressure? Do I feel pressure? This, what this person is asking me to do, do I feel pressured? And if I am, you've got to get alone with the Father, and you've got to go, is that pressure coming from me, or is it coming from them? And then in that moment, do I decide to take that pressure and turn it around to love like Christ loves, or do I take that pressure and go, wait a minute, I need to set a boundary? You understand the difference? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> 
Okay, so we're going to look at how Jesus loved and kept boundaries. And I'm over, and so, and I'm sorry I'm long-winded today. If you need to leave, I promise I, I'm not going to be offended if you need to go, but I still have a few pages of notes, and um, anyway, just wanted to let you know. Okay, so, oh, we started over. I got a lot of PowerPoint, don't I? We're going to go, if you want to go to John 5, 1 through 9. And then verse 14. Yes. Okay, I'm going to start reading. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches, waiting for a certain movement of the water. For an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred, was healed of whatever disease he had. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? And he answered, I, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man was healed, and he rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. And then we're going to skip to verse 14. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. <clears throat> this is loaded with good stuff. Okay, first thing I notice about this is Jesus asked him if he wanted to be well. Please make sure that when you're helping people that they actually want it. Otherwise, you're a sounding gong. If you offer a solution to, pro to a problem that somebody doesn't think that they have, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just not, ew. it just doesn't go well. <clears throat> the man instantly responded with a victim response. I can't. No one will help me get in the water. Oh, I forgot. Um, no, no, I did. Okay. Um, grammar. He had a victim mentality, and Jesus still helped him. I know a lot of times when, we, when we're powerful, when we get this revelation of being a powerful person, we actually, we just, like, don't want to help powerless people because we don't understand how to interact with them. Well, um, you have to look at what Jesus did, is that Jesus did interact with him. And he helped them, and he healed them, and he loved them and still does. And so when you come into contact with somebody who, who does have that, I can't, I can't do it, you know what? Jesus helped them. <clears throat> yeah, Jesus still helped him. We said that. Okay, the next thing I noticed is that Jesus told him to clean up the mess he made. When we are helping people... Jesus, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Not, Jesus did not bend down and clean up that mess and give it to him. He asked him to do it. And I like to imagine in, you know, the book of Shelley that's <clears throat> God just forgot to write or something. Um, I like to imagine, based on this, that the mat was, was a symbol of his power. Jesus said, hey, brother, you're healed. 
pick up your power. Pick up your power and walk. You're a powerful person. You're not a victim. You've got freedom. You've got power, love, self-control. Pick it up and walk. Clean up your mess. Yep, and then, then... Jesus got distracted because he was confronted because he's healing on the Sabbath and blah, blah, blah. So he's dealing with all of them. Then he goes and hunts him down to give him more instruction. And he says, hey, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen. He gave him instruction. He challenged him. He confronted the elephant in the room that nobody, you know, that you want to avoid. Jesus did that. He was confrontational. He dealt with things. He talked about the things that, you know, you don't really want to talk about. I can imagine Jesus sitting down with somebody and being like, hey, bro, how's that issue you got with pornography? All right, let's deal with that. Like right now. You know, he's like, he didn't dance around it. He didn't. Just talked about it. So we need to respond the way Jesus responds. So this is a side note. How many of you know a handicap that your spouse or your children walk in, and instead of going to them and helping them the way Jesus did, you kind of like rub their nose in it because you know it's a weakness that they have. You know, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm using this as like a parable. You know, they've got a handicap. They've got this one certain issue, or, you know, or that issue that they struggle with. Um, I don't know, like high levels of fear. And instead of, you know, helping them, we just kind of like, like, that is so annoying that you are like that. I just, ugh. you know. <coughs> so the, here's the practical side of things. Um, it's hard for us to, to empathize with their handicap because usually their handicap is violating our freedom. If you're married to somebody that has, you know, that's terrible with money, that handicap is violating your freedom, you know, your freedom to, to feel secure. And that needs to be confronted. You don't have to be a doormat in that. But here is what we're going to do. This is the practical house, how-to stuff. Um, your go-to responses. <clears throat> you are way too awesome to be acting like that. Remember who you are and quit it. When you come across a powerful person, excuse me, I'm going to knock this power out of your hand. Okay, this is what we're going to do. If, you, if I come across Chris and he's struggling in something and, you know, instead of rubbing his nose in it or telling him, you know, all about, you know, how, well, if you would have done this, 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 and this, then you wouldn't be in this situation and da-da-da. Here's what we do. We go to him and we go, I go, hey, brother, you're way too awesome to be acting like that. You can do this. You can break free. You know, we hand them back their power. We help them. We love um, what do you need? Tell me so that I can help you with that. These are just different. This is all from the book. This right here. I stole this from the book, Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk. So if you want more on the actual, the, the practical side of communication about this, I would get that book. Um, brother or sister, I love you. The sin you're in is going to destroy your life. This is not who you are. How can I help you get free? It's just language like that. Okay, now, there are sometimes... This is when God is telling you to lay down your life for somebody, okay? This is when the Lord is saying, willingly lay down your life to help this person. Now, there are some times when God is going to say, willingly set up a boundary because this person is like henpecking you and you need, you need to set up a boundary. 
this. If you're in a conflict and you've got, and you need to set up good boundaries with somebody, one of the things that you can do is you have to tell the person what you're willing to allow. Okay? It's like, I'm a powerful person. Here's what I allow in a conversation. You know, I can only talk with you when you decide to be respectful. Or if you have a person who's constantly wanting your time and you feel like the Lord wants you to set time aside for them, then you set that specific tide aside, time aside for them. But if they're constantly wanting your time in between that, you just say, I'd be glad to talk about that in our meeting. That's my boundary. Here's what I'm willing to do. Okay? Um, we can talk later when you choose to be responsible and tell me what's really going on. See what I'm saying? It's just this thing of like, here's what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm willing to allow in this situation. You can either do it or not do it. I think. Okay, teens, listen. Listen to me. Okay, there's going to be a time in your life when you're at a situation where people are doing something and you don't want to be associated with it. Like you're going to be at a party and people are going to like, start drinking or light up a joint or something like that. And you're like, ooh, I feel like I shouldn't be here. But now you're trapped in this situation of powerlessness of like, oh, my God, what am I supposed to do? Because, like, if I leave now, then I'm going to, if I, if I make a huge spectacle, then I'm going to be, you know, and I'm with my friend. And I drove, but if I leave, and, you know, it's this, like, panicked feeling of if I leave, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look like an idiot, you know, or whatever. Or they're not going to leave with me, and they're going to make me say, you know, you need a go-to statement. You need something that you can do that, that empowers you. And this is one of them. You can just look at somebody like your friend who wants to stay at this party, and you don't. You just say, hey, I'm going to leave. You can either stay with me or you, or you can come with me or you can stay here. You know, you don't have to make a big deal about what's going on. You don't have to do anything. It's like, here's what I'm going to do. You're welcome to stay. You're welcome to go. Whatever. But this is what I'm doing. It's holding on to your power. It's equipping you with something that you can do in order to, to not have to feel stuck or trapped in a situation. That works with worship, too. you got a friend or a buddy who's like, doesn't want to go up front, you know, or whatever. You just look at him and go, hey, I'm going up front for worship. You can either stay here or you can come with me. Here's what I'm going to do. You can do whatever you want to do. you got the freedom because you're your own person. Okay. Now, powerful people use iMessaging. No judgment statements. You're a jerk. That's a no. We don't want to do that. Um, I use the word I feel, not I think. Um, I think you're a jerk. I feel like you're being a jerk. (laughs) None of those things. You don't want to make a judgment statement when you're communicating with somebody. Um, you want to make an I feel statement. And again, please get this book. Um, I feel afraid when you drive like this. I need to feel safe and protected when I'm in the car with you. You know, those are some ways that you can, you can begin to set a boundary in a, yeah. Hey, I feel afraid when you drive like that. And I need to feel safe and protected in the car. I know, I know. I think it's so every wife does it and I am probably okay because you guys know how dramatic I am okay I literally make these gasps that scare him half to death and I I just like I am powerless in a car apparently because I'm like and I don't know how to communicate to him I need him to stop driving like that so anyway 
That's why I picked that. Did you like that, honey? <laughs> oh, that's it. Okay, so, um, all right, that's enough with the practical stuff. If you want more of these notes, um, okay, but we're going to daydream for a minute. Seriously, you guys, think about it. What would it look like? What would your life look like if you could really operate from a place of power like this? If you, if literally your child throwing a fit right there in front of everybody really causes you not to lose your power, you're really okay. If, um, you know, you're interacting with someone or you're helping someone that, that is powerless, you know, so many times we run from discipleship because we don't know how to help powerless people. It's like, I don't know how to help a powerless person without rescuing them. Well, I'm not willing to rescue, so I can't help you. I have to set up a boundary. And really what we do instead of setting up boundaries is we set up like a big fat brick wall and we shut ourselves off to helping anybody because we have no idea how to communicate or help powerless people. Well, listen, the world is full of powerless people and half of us are powerless people. So we need to be able to know, first of all, we have got to learn how to live our life with our power. Hanging on to it, figuring out what is it that I, what, what, what's causing me to lose it? And then just, just ourselves in our own life and our own circumstance, what causes me to lose my power? And then we have to figure out what causes me to lose my power when I'm interacting with powerless people. There's that switch. And I'm, I, the Lord keeps saying this, so I have to say this. Sometimes, you know, we talk about setting up a boundary with other people. Okay, listen up. Sometimes we need to set a boundary with ourselves. Okay, let me make some sense here. We talked last week about how if you're constantly going through a financial trial and it, like, messes you up and it makes you feel powerless to go through a financial trial, one of the lies that you might believe may be about Father God and his ability to provide for you. But the other aspect of that is you need to set up a boundary for yourself that doesn't violate your own freedom, a boundary being a budget, Yes, it is. If you feel powerless when you're late to places, put your life on a schedule. Set up a boundary for yourself where you keep a schedule with lots of margin so that you can have a poopy pants episode and still make it to church on time. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So we have to set boundaries with other people, but we also have to set boundaries with ourselves. We have to figure out what is happening inside of me that's causing me to feel powerless. And you got to ask the Lord, is it a lie I'm believing? Is it a lie? Or is it a boundary that I need to set with myself? And if it's a boundary, it probably is a lie too because we believe lies about being on a budget or we believe lies about being on a schedule. See what I'm saying, how they're all intertwined? But we want to set boundaries with ourselves as well. We've got to be able to keep that power sacred. This is a gift from God. Self-control is a gift from the Holy Spirit. It is a fruit that says that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And if you are constantly dropping it and kicking it around and handing it to other people, you are taking this precious gift from God and you're just, it's just a waste. And that is not God's will for you. If you can walk around in your power, in self-control, managing yourself, walking in love, walking in freedom. Imagine what you can do. You know that prophetic word that you think you just can't even do? You can't even conceive how you're even going to do that really awesome thing that God said you're going to do? Do you know how that is? With this. 
It's the only way you're going to do it because that power is a supernatural divine power. And if you're constantly dropping it, you will not walk in your calling. You will not reach people. You won't touch the lives of the people that God wants you to touch. This is important. You've got to keep this sacred. You've got to protect it. Okay? That's all I got. I'm done. All right, stand up. Do you have anything you want to say? Okay. Everybody say, take a breath. <laughs> good job. That's a good word. It's a very good word. I like the ending there where she talks about setting boundaries. I had a call this week from somebody from another church, and they had somebody that was close to giving their heart to the Lord, and they wanted me to rescue them. They wanted me to lead the man to Christ. And I, I appreciate that, okay? But the same thing was, as I set a boundary, and I said, no, you lead them to Christ. And here's how you do this. And I discipled them on how to lead them to Christ, but they wanted me to rescue them. I'm always asked to rescue people. You realize that? And we have to get our power back because you have power. Can everybody say, I have power? power. And I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to choose to keep my power. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this message. God, I don't even know if we realize the significance of this message, if we'll get it in our hearts. So I, I just ask, God, that you help us to get this word inside of us. That God, even the podcast, that we would listen to this again and again. Because God, you're calling us to discipleship. You're calling us to outreach. You're causing a, calling this church to reach out besides ourselves. And God, we got to have this revelation on how to be powerful in a powerless world. So Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that God, you would help us to walk this out. I thank you for this message. I thank you for Shelly. And I thank you, God, for what you're doing in us. We love you. I just ask your blessing upon the people of God. As we go, God, I just ask your blessing upon everyone. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, if you need prayer, our altar team will be here for prayer. Remember, Monday night is the healing class, emotional healing. Tuesday is um, um, boot camp. Thank you. Tuesday night is boot camp here at the church at 630. God bless you. Have a great week.